So I'm curious this morning, I wonder how many of you have ever had the pleasure of either snorkeling or scuba diving? Look at all those hands, bunch of you, that's awesome. Have you ever had the opportunity to do that in a protected reef? Yes, a couple of you. Makes all the difference in the world, I promise you. I don't know where you might have gone snorkeling or diving, but it makes all the difference in the world. You know, I can honestly say that one of the, the things that, one of the favorite things that my family had when we were living in Southeast Asia was the opportunity to be in the ocean. We absolutely loved going, not so much the beach, but to get in the water and see what was going on underneath the water. Uh, it was one of our favorite things to do in the Philippines. Well, when we went out to snorkel, usually we would have to rent a boat, something similar to the one that's in the picture above. Uh, you know, basically an oversized canoe with outriggers, and we would uh, go about 15 to 30 minutes to the best spot wherever the, the boat captain said was the best spot that we should go to, and we would gear up and then we would jump in. And um, sometimes we would jump in and find sea snakes coming up for air at the moment. And that, that always uh, freaked us out a little bit. But the good news is, is their mouths are very small. And so, so long as you don't give them something to bite, they won't kill you. If you do, they will. Um, but uh, we loved being out on the water, you know. And I'll never forget the first time that my daughter got to see a clownfish up close and personal. Uh, she got so excited when she saw this, she forgot that she couldn't talk under the water. And um, she figured that one out real quick. Uh, but you may not realize, I mean, everybody knows what a clownfish looks like because of Finding Nemo, of course. But what you may not realize is how small these fish actually are. Uh, they start out at about a half an inch long, not wide, long, half an inch. And then they will grow to the enormous size of about an inch and a half, except for the dominant female, which will grow up to three to four inches. But all the others, inch and a half, maybe up to two inches. Um, the funny thing is, is even though these clownfish are so small, they are quite aggressive when it comes to fish. I cannot tell you how many times I would swim in uh, to, you know, get a closer look at the sea anemone and uh, the clownfish would be hanging around in there and all of a sudden they're darting and biting at my goggles or sometimes my face or hitting my snorkel or whatever. They are aggressive fish. They would not hesitate to slam into your mask to let you know that you needed to back off. <laughs> well, one of our favorite places to go out of all of the places uh, in the Philippines to snorkel and dive uh, was a place that we would take a lot of visitors actually when we had the opportunity, and it was the town of Moal Boal on the island of Cebu. This is a, a satellite picture of Club Serena Resort at Moal Boal, Cebu. And um, I just wanted to kind of uh, give you a picture of, of what, we, what we had there at our disposal. You see the, 
the little yellow circle is circling the, the two-bedroom cabana that we would rent out on a nightly basis. And then the orange circle is the restaurant sitting out right over the beach. And the red circles are the two different pools that you could use there. And, and you see that gray strip going out into the, the ocean? That's actually not in the satellite view, but what that is is a sidewalk underneath the water that you could step out onto the beach, walk into the water, and then walk out on a sidewalk about 150 feet, put your head under the water, and all of a sudden you're sitting on top of the house reef. Uh, it was an amazing place, a veritable paradise that cost us a grand total of $100 a day for food and lodging for a family of four. It was amazing. We loved going to this place. Um, but, you know, uh, one of my memories of, of snorkeling at, at Moal Boal actually uh, included another family member, not my immediate family, but my mother-in-law. Dreen is deathly afraid. Well, I wouldn't say deathly afraid. She, okay, deathly afraid of water. Um, and she was, she was not going to go snorkeling. There was no way she was going to go out there. And somehow, if you, you know my relationship with my mother-in-law, you would probably say this was a lapse in judgment for her, but she trusted me to take her out into the ocean and show her a little bit of snorkeling. Well, as we got out to the end of that sidewalk, I said, okay, Jereen, now, get your mask on, put your snorkel in your mouth, and just put your head under the water. And she said, don't let go of me. I said, I'm not going to let go. I said, you don't even have to pick your feet up. Just, just bend over and look. And finally convinced her to do so. And she had the exact same reaction that Carly did when she saw the clownfish and started yelling at me, look, look, look. And I was like, yeah, I know, it's amazing, isn't it? Well, the first time that I ever went snorkeling out in the open ocean, I will never forget the feeling that I got when I drifted beyond the reef wall and I looked down at the drop-off into what looked like a deep blue abyss. It honestly, I, I've always been comfortable in water. I love to swim. I, I, I don't get scared. Probably I should be more often, but I just don't. Uh, that freaked me out just a little bit. As I, I looked down and it looked as if I was floating in outer space, drifting off, and I was going to be a goner. I mean, that's kind of the feeling I got as I did that. And so I, 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 took a break, you know, took a moment, looked up, got my bearings. I'm like, okay, I've only drifted about 20 feet. What's so different about this? And so I, I go back and I look again. And as I looked at this drop-off again, I began to notice that there was an entirely different ecosystem that was going on just beyond the edge of this beautiful coral reef that we've been exploring. This ecosystem that uh, was totally different. It looked different. It had different animals. It, it was just completely different. The coral reef was beautiful. The coral reef was teeming with aquatic life. 
In fact, just a side note, did you know 90% of the fish that are in aquariums in the world today are found in the Philippines? <laughs> it's an amazing place to go and snorkel. Teeming with aquatic life. But as you got over that edge and you looked, the next 150 feet of depth provides a habitat for those fish and the sea creatures that are, are looking for shelter within the cliff face. Now, on occasion, we were blessed to be able to swim above sea turtles who had come up to the reef to get some sun, I guess. I don't know. It just seemed like they were just lazily going along. And, and you know, there is one big rule about scuba and snorkel, and that is don't touch anything, right? If you didn't know that, don't touch anything when you're scuba or snorkeling. And so one time, my son, bless his heart, tried to dive down and touch one of these sea turtles. And he said, Dad, I almost got it. He was like, I don't know, 10 or so. He was probably 20 feet away from it, but he felt like he had almost got it. Um, but as soon as he started encroaching on that sea turtle's space, that turtle went zoom, zoom over the cliff, and it was gone. We never saw it again that day. Um, why have I shared all these memories with you about snorkeling and scuba diving? You may be asking yourself, what is he doing here? Well, we're starting a new series today, just like Pastor David had shared with you. And the, the series is focused on the subject of faith. Living by faith, cultivating a deeper dependency upon God. That means that in order to cultivate a deeper dependency on God, we must know him more deeply. We must understand the difficult truths in God's word at a, a deeper level. And we must live in the reality of his promises, even when our situations are dark. In many ways, underwater sports mirror the life of a believer. Let me explain. You see, anyone who is willing to get their heads and bodies wet can enjoy snorkeling at some degree. If they're just willing to get in the water, they can enjoy snorkeling. They'll see beautiful things so long as they're looking in the right place. But as they're looking, they will only have a very shallow perspective of what is a very vast and deep ocean of activity. In fact, you may or may not realize this, but coral reefs occupy less than 0.1% of the world's ocean area. Less than 0.1%. Well, to really get the most out of snorkeling, you need to have your own equipment. You need to use it on a regular basis so that you can get better at doing it. Because you can't get better if you don't do it, right? Um, you also need to go to different dive sites to broaden your perspective of the world under the surface. And... That's the other thing. You can't just stay on top of the water. You've got to learn how to dive down deeper. 
But you know, to gain an even more thorough understanding of life underwater, you really need to be able to go down and stay down. And in case you didn't know how a snorkel works, you cannot go down and breathe under the water with a snorkel. You can try, but it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be bad. You've got to learn how to scuba, which, by the way, is um, does anyone know what scuba stands for? Underwater breathing apparatus, exactly. Now, Jeff, you guys use not scuba, but what do you call the SCBA? You just call it SCBA. You don't call it yeah. That's a self-containing breathing apparatus that firemen use. But this is a self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. So you can go down and you can stay down for a certain length of time at a certain depth. Well, you know what? Scuba training is long and tedious because scuba diving can be very dangerous. There are multiple levels of training that you can uh, that you are required to get in order to be able to dive. You know, at the base level is the open water diver, which that means that they can go down 18 meters or about 60 feet into the water. Uh, that's the training that Carly and Caleb and I have. You know, we're open water divers. Um, but that is the absolute basic training. You know, beyond that, you have advanced open water and rescue drivers and uh, master divers. And each time you increase your training, the depth that you are allowed to go increases as well. And by the way, I'll, this picture is kind of an amazing picture. It's not my own. It is free for me to use in this way, but... There is nothing in the world quite like seeing a million sardines about three feet away from your face swimming by. It's amazing. Um, and so that's why I put that picture there. Uh, it, it's amazing. So how does all of this mirror the life of a believer? Well, think about it for just a moment, if you would. Every believer, every single one of you, Every believer can spend time in God's word and be blessed by it, even if they stay in the shallows. They can. As my friend Bill Elif once put it, are you a 22-year-old Christian or are you a one-year-old Christian 22 times? We can be blessed by God's word. Even if all you ever do is read through the book of Proverbs once a month. I mean, that's a good thing to do. It is. But there's a whole lot more of God's word besides Proverbs. You say, oh, well, preacher, I also read through the New Testament once a year. That's a good thing, too. But that's about one-fourth of the Bible. Has your time in the word ever gone beyond the beginner level? Or are you still wearing your life vest and holding on to the rope from the boat, afraid to get away uh, and really explore the ocean on your own? Folks, it's time that we need to dive deeper. Diving deeper means that you have your own equipment. 
Your own equipment starts with a good study Bible. I don't know if any of you took advantage of it or not, but a couple of weeks ago, I posted on our Facebook group, hey, this is my favorite study Bible in a genuine leather Bible for $40. I'll be honest with you, I almost bought one, but I already have two of those Bibles and I just couldn't justify it. <laughs> now, one of them is worn out and covered in duct tape now, but that's okay. It's kind of a special Bible. You know, it's my duct tape Bible. Uh, I gave up on the leather and went to, to hardback for my second copy, but... Um, you got to have a good study Bible. Not just a Bible that you can read, but a Bible that has quality study notes. And if you want to know what that looks like, I'd be happy to share with you. Um, there are a couple of good ones out there that I would encourage you to, to look into. But you need to have a good study Bible. You need to have trustworthy Bible reference materials. It doesn't have to be a library like mine or other preachers libraries but you've got to have some basic reference materials or know how to use certain apps on your phone that can you know imitate or imitates the wrong word mimic those materials uh you know but you got to have good reference materials and you have to have a clear understanding of how to interpret and apply the bible that's what it takes to be able to dive deeper but to really be able to dive deeper into God's word, you need more training. Just like you need, you know, greater advanced levels of training in scuba, you need more training in how to understand God's word. And folks, we should never stop learning. Now, periodically, we offer training courses here at the church. In fact, I'm considering offering a, such a course this coming summer. Um, if you'd be interested in, in deepening your understanding of God's word, let me know and, and we can talk about that. You know, every so often, our seminary offers courses for free. Now, it's not courses for credit, but it's courses for audit. Um, and that would be a great way. Uh, for somebody to increase their depth of understanding of God's word. And, you know, this is one of the main reasons that we provide the recharge book for you every chance we can. If you did not pick up your copy, it's right outside in the foyer. This book serves as a companion for you to be able to dive deeper into the truths that are being taught on Sunday mornings and in your community groups throughout the week. So I encourage you, please pick up a copy of this book um, and use it uh, over these next couple of months. Uh, we also want to encourage you to pick up a copy of Bill Elliff's book, The Line of Faith. Uh, this is a 40-day devotional book, 40 days to deeper dependency. It is not going to match up with our sermon series exactly, but this book uh, will bless you and it will coordinate with your studies in the recharge book. And so I want to encourage you to do that. There's more information in the recharge about how that's going to work and everything. So we, we want to encourage you to pick that up. So as we approach this section of the book of Hebrews this morning, I want to pause to once again notice the first word of our text. If you've not made your way there yet, Hebrews chapter 10 is where we will be looking 
uh, in our, our study this morning. And the very first word is the word, therefore. And I, I shouldn't have to tell you what we've got to do when we see the word, therefore. But I'll say it again anyway. We've got to look and see what it's there for. Ta-da. All right. So why is it saying therefore? Well, it's referring back to the previous nine and a half chapters of this book. And so in light of all that has been written in these first nine and a half chapters, it's saying now, therefore, we must conform our thoughts. (coughs) We must conform our behaviors to the teachings of the teachings on faith that are to follow here in chapters 10, 11, and 12. And so as we consider these seven verses, I'd like for us to ask ourselves two main questions this morning. Number one, why do we have the confidence that the author speaks of? And number two, what should we now do with that confidence that he says we should have? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. The Bible says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So why do we have this confidence that he mentions in verse 19? He says, therefore, since we have confidence. Well, why do we have confidence? Well, there are three things. The first is we have confidence because of Jesus' blood. In Romans chapter 3, we're, we're very familiar with verse 23, but in verse 22 it says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We've talked about this verse before. We've talked about that word propitiation before. But basically this is the blood atonement. It is the covering of Jesus' blood over the sins of mankind. And because he died on the cross, we can be reconciled with God. We are justified and we are redeemed Because he is put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And if you look forward, uh, for me it's just on the opposite page in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. Paul goes on and says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, 
much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were sinners we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Everything in God's word is moving us from the fall into sin in Genesis chapter 3 to reconciliation with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of God's word. <coughs> so it is because of his blood that we can be confident when we are going into the presence of God because his blood has covered my sin. Now the second thing that we see here is a torn curtain. And if we turn back to Matthew chapter 27, we get a, a, a contextual understanding of what curtain is being talked about. In Matthew 27, verse 45, we find that Jesus is about to die. And it says now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you go on down to verse 50, it says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. But notice what happened next. Verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top. The bottom. Now, what's this talking about? Well, first of all, this event would have had significant symbolism to Jewish believers of, the, of that time because the curtain that is referred to was the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place inside the Jewish temple. And only one person was allowed to go into that most holy place. And that was the high priest, only the high priest, and only once a year was he allowed to go in. Why? Because that's where the ark of God was. That was where God made his presence known to the people uh, when they were in the wilderness. He came and indwelled in that spot, in that most holy place. And nobody could go in except the high priest. But when Christ died, it tells us that the curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom. We need to understand some perspective here, all right? Because uh, this is probably, the curtain would have probably been somewhere around the same height as what the apex of this room is. There was no way an individual was going to be able to tear that curtain. It was done by God. God opened the way for all men, all men and women to go into the presence of God. Now, it's important that we understand the old covenant high priest offered gifts and he offered sacrifices for his sins and he did this on behalf 
of all men in relation to God. You see, the high priest was the mediator between God and the people. And God would come in judgment because of the sins of the people, and so the high priest would stand in the gap. He would stand in their place offering sacrifices that satisfied God's justice and demonstrated God's mercy by punishing an innocent animal in place of the human being. Well, this torn curtain indicated that now all believers are welcome into that throne. Why? Because an innocent man took away their sins. He became that sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 4, which, you know, we always have to understand a text within its context, right? Well, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We'll come back and read more of this in just a moment. But let's recap what we found so far in this. And that is, Jesus made a way for us to be reconciled with God. Amen? Amen. Jesus made a way for us to come to God in prayer and to be heard with understanding and with compassion. And so the question is, is why do we have this confidence why do we have this confidence? Well, we have this confidence because of all that Jesus has done for us. I mean, why would we ever hesitate to live by faith in the one who has done all of this in order to just have a relationship with us? We have every reason in the world to be confident in our relationship with God. As it said in Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sin, it says in chapter 5 verse 1. If you skip ahead to verse 5, it says... So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed to him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Verse 7, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated at, by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And I don't have time to get into that, but just know that Melchizedek was an Old Testament high priest slash 
king. And that's what made Jesus different from all the other high priests that Israel had. He was a high priest and king. So what should we do with this confidence? Well, our text, if we go back to Hebrews chapter 10, it makes it very clear what we need to do. Number one, it says that we should draw near to God. The author first tells us to draw near to God in full assurance of faith. Laura, if you can go ahead, couple. Right there. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So draw near to God in full assurance of faith. Now, faith, this confident assurance is a result, it says, of being sprinkled clean and washed with pure water. Once again, context is needed here. What does he mean when he says sprinkled clean and washed with pure water? Does that mean that we should sprinkle as some churches do as a, a form of baptism? Or does that mean that the baptismal waters that we, we immerse people in, that they have some sort of magical healing, spiritual healing powers? No and no. We've got to remember who this book is written to and what it's talking about. Just one second. <laughs> Laura, if we could back up to slide 11. She was right and I was wrong. Imagine that. Um, because I was going to give you a little more context uh, about the book of Hebrews. And there's the slide. Thank you, Laura. So the book of Hebrews can be broken down into three main sections. The first is the superiority of Christ's person, which is chapter 1 through 413. And then the second section is the superiority of Christ's work, which is 414 through 1018. And then in 1019, where we're starting our study today, is the superiority of the Christian walk. Now, I mentioned earlier that you need reference materials. And you know what? I've got books in my library that are four and five inches thick or five volume dictionaries and all of that. But you know where this information came from? Nelson's Student Bible Dictionary. It's about, it's less than an inch thick. Good materials don't mean they have to take up a lot of space on your shelves, but you need something. I just wanted to show that to you this morning. Uh, and also that book is quoted in your recharge book. If you, if you will uh, read the introduction, you can learn a little bit more about that. So that's the overall scope of, of the book. Now, if we can... Um, Let's go back to slide 13, Laura. Thank you very much. Um, so we're looking at this idea of being sprinkled clean and washed with pure water. And so that whole section in the middle of the book of Hebrews talks about all of these Jewish rituals and a lot of it dealing with pointing back to the books that we refer to as the Torah or the Pentateuch, Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy back in the beginning of the Old Testament and so 
When you look at all of that in context with each other, and I'll be happy to share these verses with you if you come find me after the service, what we discover is that under this old covenant, in the Old Testament, ceremonially defiled persons were sprinkled with water that contained the ashes of a heifer that was offered in a ritual cleansing. And so they would put the ashes in this water and then they would sprinkle them as a sign to show it's part of the process for them to go from being ceremonially unclean to ceremonially clean. And then also ritual washing was a big part of the Jewish Torah. It was done for both consecration as well as cleansing. Now what do I mean consecration? That's when we set something apart as holy. All right, when we when we sanctify it or set it apart, uh, that's consecration. Cleansing was part of this process, like I mentioned before, of becoming ceremonially clean. And there were four basic methods that they would use for these ritual washings in the Old Testament. One was they needed to wash their clothes. Number two, uh, washing their hands and their feet. But the third and the fourth one are what is mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 10. And that is the sprinkling with the water of purification as well as bathing, immersing yourself in water. And so what the author of Hebrews, by the way, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, um, but what the author of Hebrews is seeking to do is to connect with his Jewish readers. He wanted to carry on this symbolism of the Old Testament laws, explaining to them that in Christ, watch this, they are no longer ever ceremonially unclean. Because of Christ, they are clean perpetually. This was huge in the life of a Jew, to be always clean. There's a song that is sung by Natalie Grant um, that you may or may not know. Um, I put some of the words up on the screen. Uh, if you're using the Uversion Interactive Notes, uh, there's a link to a video in there that you can listen to the whole song. Um, I, when, when I'm having my personal quiet time, and I know this is true of my wife as well, even more so than me probably. Uh, music is always a big part of, of my personal times of worship. Um, you know, whether that's singing or listening or, or reading uh, lyrics to songs, but this song has ministered to me in, in many ways over the years, especially in those times where I don't feel like I am worthy of approaching God's throne. The song says, I see shattered, you see whole. I see broken, but you see beautiful. And you're helping me to believe. You're restoring me piece by piece. There's nothing too dirty 
that you can't make worthy. You wash me in mercy. I am clean. By the blood of Jesus Christ, our sins are covered. We are clean because he is our propitiation. He is our atonement. He is the one who has redeemed us. So then what should we do? In full assurance of faith, we should draw near to God. Because he has made us clean. He wants us to draw near to him. I need to keep moving. So it says, let us draw near with a true heart. In verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. We need to hold fast to our confession of hope. That is our witness. What we do in order to bear witness of Christ. To others. The author has called his hearers to hold fast to our confidence and to hold fast to our boasting in our hope, in our confession of faith in Christ. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples just before sending them out two by two? Way back in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending them out and he says, you're getting ready to go, but here are some instructions for you. And so most of that first section of Luke chapter 10 has those instructions. He told them that they were going to have power to do things that they've never done before. Things like heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. They were going to be able to do that. Jesus wasn't going to be there with them. They were going to be empowered. Then he tells them how he wants them to do it. How he wants them to go. He said, don't take any money. And don't receive any money when you get out there. Don't pack a bag. Don't pack extra clothes. <clears throat> don't even take a walking stick, he said. He said, depend upon the people that you're ministering to. Let them provide for your needs. Have faith. That God will take care of you through them. Then he goes on and he tells them. I mean, this is exactly what everybody wants to hear right before they go on a mission trip, right? He said, you are going to be rejected. <laughs> he said, and then also you're going to be persecuted. But then he says, but you should not be afraid. Because God will take care of you. We look at Luke, if I can find Luke. Well, apparently I did. Oh, you know what? I said Luke chapter 10. It's Matthew chapter 10. That's why I can't find it. Matthew chapter 10 is where we want to read from. In verse 32 and 33, this is how he concluded. Well, not exactly. This is toward the end of what he was t telling his disciples 
He said, verse 31, Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I, will, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is telling them that they needed to persevere. It wasn't going to be easy, but they needed to hold fast to their confession of faith and the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. They needed to persevere. And by living without fear of the human wrath that they were about to incur, the disciples publicly acknowledged or they confessed that they fear and love God more than they fear what man can do to them. But Jesus said to abandon their mission would be to live in fear and silence and effectively deny the Father as a result. Folks, we have a mission, and that is to not just hold fast to our confession, but hold forth our confession of faith and in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We must not cower in fear. We must not keep silence. Rather, we need to hold fast our confession of faith, our witness for Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's not always something easy for us to do. And the author understood that. And because of that, he continued on by saying that we need to stir up one another to love and good works. The idea behind this statement is the idea of provoking one another. We should love one another enough to be willing to spur on or provoke or motivate or even the concept of insight that person to do what God was calling them to do. To motivate our fellow believers to love and good works. Even when it gets uncomfortable. Even when it's difficult or awkward. You know what? Sometimes love must be tough. <coughs> Sometimes we've got to say things to stir up one another to love and good works. These three statements that begin with let us here embody the command that was given to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Do you remember what it said? It said, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Did you notice that we have this? Faith, hope, and love here in this passage? When it told us to draw near to God, how? In full assurance of faith. It said to hold fast to our witness, how? Because of the hope of Jesus Christ. And now it's telling us to stir up one another 
in love. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And that's why it's so important that we come together, which is the next thing here in our passage in Hebrews 10. It says, not forsaking or not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. That's the last two things I want us to look at this morning. It's important that we come together with one another. We will struggle to do any one of these things well if we do not gather together in community as a church. We cannot have the relationship with God that he wants. When he says to draw near to him, we cannot have that relationship with him in isolation. We need community. That's why God created us that way. We need one another. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the other. We need community with one another. We will be less likely to be a witness for Christ if we isolate ourselves from other believers. We either won't see our need to be a witness or we will not have the courage to be the witness that we ought to be. We need one another. We need to come together. And folks, we cannot motivate others, nor can we be motivated by others, if we live in isolation. We need one another's prodding. We need one another's encouragement. We cannot be the person God wants us to be when we isolate ourselves. This is why it's so important that you come together and participate in this time of of worship every Sunday morning. It's why it's so important that you join a community group and do life together with a smaller group where you can dive deeper into God's word. It says, let us not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And that's the last thing I want us to look at this morning. When coming together at church, as a general rule, I mean, why did you come here this morning? Please don't answer that. I'm afraid of what I might hear. But when you come together at church, generally speaking, a person hopes to get encouraged in some way for being here. Right? I mean, that, that's pretty general. It's a valid expectation. John said in John 16, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. We should be encouraged by being here and being around fellow believers and hearing his word and singing worship songs. That should be encouraging. But I wonder this morning, when you come to church, in what ways are you being an encouragement to others. What are you doing to encourage others? My friend Larry Barker shared with me one time about the parking lot test. I think I may have shared this before, I don't know. Um, But you know, that happens. The parking lot test as was shared to him by one of his church members down in East Texas, was this. He said, the test is simple. 
When you see someone in the parking lot, do you walk toward them or do you go and hide? When you look at somebody in the church and you see them walking this way, how do you respond to that person? If they are a person who is encouraging to you, you're going to go see them. That's the parking lot test. If they're a person who drains you, you might walk the other way. My question to you today is not who can we identify as the people we run away from. That's not the question, okay? The question is, how can I be the person that somebody wants to go see? How can I be that encourager? Folks, there are going to be times when you're struggling, when you need someone to encourage you. But hopefully, there are also going to be times when you can be an encouragement to someone else. Well, the author gives us the formula here in this passage for how we are to encourage one another. He lays it out very simply. He said we should encourage one another to draw near to God in full assurance of faith. We should encourage one another to hold fast to the confession of our hope in Christ. He said we should encourage one another to demonstrate love to one another through acts of kindness and service. And we should encourage one another to not neglect to meet together. Not only do church together though, but also do life together with one another. I wonder in what ways are you falling short in these areas today? What is God laying on your heart and saying, eh, you really could do better? What will you do to change the way you interact with fellow believers this year? That's living by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that you've given us to study your word this morning. Father, uh, thank you for the challenge that we have here to dive deeper into your word. Father, thank you for the way that you uh, made it so clear to us as to how we ought to live our lives. So, Father, I pray that we would be confident in the assurance of our salvation and confident in our prayer so that we can interact with others the way we ought to the way you've called us to. Father, if we're failing in any of these ways, Lord, help us to make a decision to change. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.